So last week, we were on or ready to do question 13, I believe. We had kind of talked about, yeah, we had talked about uh, the girding up of girding up the loins of your mind. We talked about that at the close there for a few minutes. So let's look at the last um, verses here in 1 Peter chapter 1. We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's look at verses 13 through 25. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, he indeed was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Because all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass, the grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So then if we look at question 13, upon what are Christians to rest their hope? And it refers us back to verse 13. By the revelation of Jesus Christ. Fully upon the grace that is brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right. So we are to rest our hope upon the grace of that revelation that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the one that we are following, that he paid the price for us and redeemed us. Now question 14 says, as obedient children, what three admonitions are given to Christians? What three things are we told? To be holy in our conduct, right? To uh, not conform to our former lusts. In other words, don't do what we used to do. Don't do what we were doing. And while we're here, we should conduct ourselves in fear, right? In respect and awe of the Lord and what he's telling us to do. So all, all of these really have to do with uh, 
obedience, which you mentioned. So what are we what are we afraid of though? What are what's the fear about? What don't we want to get into? We don't want to be lost. We don't want to be lost, okay. Yeah. We don't want to be lost. We don't want to return to the way we were living. We don't want to go back to the way we were living, right? Because why? Yeah, I guess a lot of reasons. Sorry. Okay. What I was thinking of, though, I, I'll just say it because that, that's kind of unfair. What I was thinking was um, uh, we don't want to get back into a place where we're subject to God's judgment. We don't want to fall into judgment. That's why. That's the one thing I think we sh really should be afraid of is being on the wrong side of God and being caught in judgment. Does anyone have anything else on that? Right. Going back to our old ways is not showing the fear and respect and and uh, it's it's kind of a disrespect to what the Lord has done for us. It's it's not showing the fear and respect that we want to um, when we realize what Jesus did for us, how he paid the price for us. Yes. When we get off the path of righteousness, it's hard for us to get back on it. Well, yes, if we stray, that's another thing. If we stray, it is hard to get back in line, right? I mean, if we go wandering off, if we allow ourselves to just wander back into our old ways, it can be hard to get back to where we should be. If we look at um, question 15, what are the reasons, what are three, well, let's see how they say this. Well, what three reasons are given to obey these admonitions? And it's kind of similar to what we're talking about, but not exactly. It's, uh, well, we're redeemed by Christ's blood. We're redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Right. That is a very important thing. Um, so we... We want to make sure, that's what, kind of like what we were talking about a moment ago, we want to make sure we remember that we were redeemed, we were bought and paid for by the blood of Christ, what he's done for us. So that's one reason. And another is that uh, God is holy, right? So we should be holy, we're supposed to follow his example as his people. Right, not by traditions or any of these other things, right? And then it says that the Father judges each one's work without partiality. So we'll all be judged fairly. It doesn't necessarily mean we'll be judged exactly the same, but we'll all be judged fairly based on our work. It's the same. It's all the same rule stick anyway. We're all supposed to be following the Lord. If you notice verse uh, verses seventeen through nineteen, that's really all one sentence, and it ties back together. If it if it helps you to look at these as sentences and not just verses, sometimes when you're reading it, 
And, and 13 through 19 are really two sentences that really go together when you look at those verses. These are all ideas that go together. If we had got that letter the way it was, it would have just been sentences that we would have seen. Sometimes I think that helps to understand the whole idea that they're talking about. If we look at uh, question 16, what four things are said about Christ? Well, the first one is he existed before creation. Right. He existed before the foundation of the world, right? That agrees with John's gospel in the beginning. He says in the beginning that the word was with God. What else? Well, he yeah. appeared later in the scriptures. Uh, he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. Well, he did appear. That that kind of goes with he was manifest. He is he was manifest in the in these last times for us. In other words, right. he was revealed to the world to us for us. You know, in the last times, if you consider, you know, all of this to be the last times, it's the latest times. Right. Right. He's referred to in a lot of ways in the Old Testament coming up, but then he's revealed to us in the New Testament. Yes. Right, through him, through Jesus, we have belief and have hope in God. Through what he's done for us, we have belief and hope in God, so he's given us that. And then the other thing they mention is he was raised from the dead and given glory because he's now ascended and at the right hand of the Father, right? Right. He was the perfect sacrifice without spot or blemish. That's why his sacrifice is eternal for us. That's why we're not doing sacrifices anymore like they were doing back in the Old Testament. He was given all authority to the Father. He was given all authority. Yep. He was Right. He was foreordained before the foundation of the world, meaning that that yeah, it was planned before before the world was created. So, if we look at uh, question seventeen. What did God do to Jesus so that our faith and hope are in God? We've kind of talked about this a little bit already. It's, it's in verse 21. Raised him from the dead and gave him glory. In other words, he was resurrected 
and he ascended, reiterating that this is what uh, God did, what Jesus did through that sacrifice so that we would have our faith and hope in God. And then if we look at question 18, what two reasons are given for us to love one another fervently with a pure heart? Well, we've purified our souls in obeying the truth. Now, what, what does that mean? Because that's kind of an odd way to put it, and there's a simple way to put it. Right. We've accepted the gospel. We've we've come to the Lord and been baptized. We've we've accepted Christ as our Savior, and we've repented. Right. We've purified our souls in obeying the truth. We've repented and been baptized into the Lord. So we have been. That's the second part of it. We have been born again of the Word of God. So there's the two reasons are we've repented, we've purified our souls, and we have been born again. Now, verse 22, if you look at that, it sounds kind of confusing. Let's look at that for a second. Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart. But the two points that he makes about this verse actually kind of, I think, kind of clarify it. When I first read that, it sounds a little weird. But um, just saying that once once we've repented and obeyed the truth and um, we're in God's family, you know, we should love one another. We should love God's family fervently with a pure heart. But it... Yes. I was going to say, um, when we are, when we do become a family of God, God's our Father, mm -hmm. Christ is our elder brother, yes. and we're brother and sisters to each other, so we have to love each other. We're part of that family. Right. We're all a part of a family, God's family, and God is our Father, Jesus is our older brother, and we are all brothers and sisters, and we should love and care for one another. And that's that's what we're encouraged to do. Christ encouraged us to do this, and we're encouraged to do this throughout the New Testament. So in question 19, what is said of the Word of God? And there's various things that are said that you could, you could reply. It endures forever. It endures forever, right. The word of God endures forever. Said this world may pass away, but his word will not. Right, his word will not pass away. It's it's the incorrupt incorruptible seed. Right? It is the incorruptible seed. If you think of the word as the seed that goes into your heart, it's incorruptible, but it's incorruptible anyway. It's God's word. It's it's not corruptible, it's true, and it's honest, and it's pure. Uh, so you actually got two things here. It lives and abides forever, and it endures forever. And then the gospel was preached to them by the word of God. 
meaning that the gospel was preached to them, you know, through the word of God so that the gospel is from God. I had another thought. Yes. Uh, we know that when um, Christ comes back, this world's going to be destroyed. But when we talk about his word's going to do it forever, when we get to heaven, his word's still going to be there. It's going to be there forever. Yes. Yes. The word of the word of God is still going to be is still going to be in existence even in the next life even after when we get to the end of the revelation and all that that occurs and we don't have to get into all those details but just the word of God is still going to be there that still exists. So what is said about flesh and the glory of man? If we look at question number 20, and this is making that comparison. Right, right. The flesh is as grass, which withers, and our, our glory, our pride, our accomplishments are like a flower that falls away, right? It lasts a little while. It looks nice. It's good. But it doesn't last forever. It like goes away. Yeah, like the roses never fade in heaven, right? That'll be eternal, but uh, God's glory never fades. But, but our earthly glory, those things that we do here that we take such pride in, those are just temporary. It humbles us to really think about that, but uh, it's true. Does anybody have anything else on that before we move on? Okay, that's the, that's the end of chapter 1, so we'll move on to chapter 2. Now, chapter 2, they mentioned the objectives here uh, to note what is necessary in order to grow spiritually, to reflect upon our privilege and duties as God's special people, living as sojourners and pilgrims in a world that is not our home. Again, that is, that is the theme of our life here to review our duty to submit to governmental authorities and to make application of the instructions to slaves in our lives as employees. Now, I'm going to skip over the summary and we're going to move down. And we can look at the outline here, a call to spiritual growth and talking about those things, our privilege in Christ as people of God, our duties in Christ as servants there because we're all we're all servants to somebody it seems like aren't we so if we look at what are the main points of this chapter we'll get this uh, cleared here the main points of the chapter are a call to spiritual growth in the first three verses our privilege in Christ in verses 4 through 10 and our duties in Christ in verses 11 through 25. So let's start and read the first three verses here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So put away all malice and all deceit. Now you notice he starts out with so, and that's kind of like a therefore, because of all this we were looking at before. So, since you've been born again and everything like that, 
So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure in, uh, pardon me, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So that's just the first three verses there encouraging us. If you look at question two, what must we lay aside to grow spiritually? What are these things he lists off here? Well, he mentions malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all evil speaking. So all these things are these these are things that come from our hearts when we're not in love, right? When we're looking at other people and we're maybe we're being judgmental, maybe we're being hateful, maybe they've angered us in some way. All kinds of different things, but we need to lay aside all those all those wrong attitudes, all those wrong things that we can have in our hearts that we can be like. And then if we look at question number three, how should we long for the word if we want to grow spiritually? Well, as a newborn babe desires milk, right? If you've ever seen, well, humans too, everybody, you know, every baby, every child that is born, a mammal anyway, craves its mother's milk, right? And that's how we should crave the Word of God. We should want that to live. Just like they crave when a baby's born, it, it doesn't understand it, but it craves that sustenance. It needs that to live. And that's how we need to look at the Word of God. That's how we need to look at our Bibles. We need to read that. We need to understand that. We need God's wisdom and knowledge to live. As if we, as if, if we didn't have it, we would just die, you know, just waste away and die. Because spiritually, we will, but even, we need to look at it even as if it's almost a physical thing. So if we look at uh, question number four, what should motivate us to desire the word with such longing? Well, wanting to grow is a good reason. I, that is true. That's, that's not the reason they were looking for, but that is a good reason because we want to grow spiritually. So that, yes. We love the Word. We love the Lord. And we, and we need that to be nourished, to keep us, um, keep us on track and to live and have the right attitude in our lives every day. We do need that. We need, we need the Lord and we need the Word. Um, but in verse 3, you'll see if we have already tasted that the Lord is gracious. That'll make us desire more, or at least it should desire more. It should make us desire more, right? If we understand the grace that we've been given, that we've been forgiven, and the sacrifice that the Lord made for us, if you think on those things in that way, 
it should motivate us to desire the word more. Yes. That's a good comparison. Right. Well, that was a good comparison that when it says we've tasted that the Lord is gracious, well, we get our first taste of that when we're when we repent and we're forgiven, we're baptized, right? So if we have tasted that grace and understand that grace, then that should cause us to desire more. Yes? I was thinking, too, the uh, <clears throat> comparison would be um, a newborn baby, it says it desires it, it wants mm -hmm. it. Yes. And so you don't just have a baby and say, are you hungry? You know, you know that baby's hungry. Right. And so as we look at ourselves inward spiritually, are we hungry? Do we desire that? We should. We should. That's like a newborn baby desires that food to live. We should desire the word the same way. We're a newborn babe when we're when we repent and we're baptized. We're a babe in Christ. Doesn't really matter how old we are, and we should desire that the word more so that we can continue to grow. And so, how many days can we go normally? So we're really hungry and need something to eat. Well, I go about four hours and then I'm ready. <laughs> so how long do we go spiritually? How long do we go spiritually? And that's a good question. Are we hungry? Are we thirsty? How long do we go spiritually before we come back to God's word? Let's just say, like, okay, like I have to work. I have to work and maybe I work eight or ten hours. So, you know, I should come back. If I've, if I've, how do I say this? If, if I've been working all day and that's what I've had my mind on and what I'm doing, then you'd think at the end of that, I would be ready to uh, come back to the word, right? That's all, I'm, that's all I was really getting at. Uh, because I do, when I work, it, it pretty much takes up most of my thought and time at that time. You know, that's, it's life. But we should desire the word of God, definitely. I think sometimes we like to be self-fed come to services and that's the only food we get Sunday and Wednesday that's it yeah if we if all we're doing is coming to services a couple of times a week and just getting that that's that's good but that's not enough we need to we need to be feeding ourselves in some manner every day I feel sometimes like we depend on the Bible class teacher like you or the preacher to feed us the word, and then we're right. done until the next time we come back. Right. And we never open our Bibles all week long. And that's that's not a good practice. Right. We're starving our our spirit, our soul, if we're not if we're not trying to feed it every day. If we don't, if we're not feeding ourselves with God's word, we're going to be feeding ourselves with something else. And most likely, if you're feeding yourself with something from the word of the world, it's going to be bad. So. That's, I mean, just something to be aware of. We need to make sure that we're thirsting and hungering for God's word more than other things.
So let's read the next verses. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer sacri spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So if we look at question five, what kind of stone is used to describe Jesus? Because that's what he's talking about there in that. A living stone, right? Because Jesus is alive. It's a living stone. He also says he's rejected by men and chosen by God, and he's precious. Yes? He told uh, Peter that he was the rock. Right. Well, he yeah, he told Peter that that, when Peter stated that he was the Christ, the Messiah, he said upon that, said that was the rock that he was going to found his church on, the fact that he is the Messiah, that he is the one. And that, that belief, that faith in him, that all of us have. Yes. He's also the he is the cornerstone, yes. You know, that cornerstone is so important anything you build. I mean, it's got to be straight, it's got to be level, it's got to be everything. The foundation has to be perfect. And God inside Christ is that foundation. Right. The cornerstone has to be perfect and everything else has to line up to that cornerstone exactly so that everything's level and everything's straight. Otherwise you get stuff like I would make, which would be all wonky and out of out of kilter. Yes. Years ago we had Mormons come to our house. It's probably about the second or third year we were married. And these two little elders uh, <coughs> came to the house and they had this little chart. It was like a final graph and they had the chief cornerstone Christ then the apostles, and then on up. And he said, now this is what the church is built on, right? He said, yeah. Well, you know, when Christ died, he pulled that foundation out. When the apostles were gone, they pulled that off. And said, the church just fell apart. And so we had to start all over. And that's where the Mormons came. Okay. <laughs> that just blew my mind. That's confusing to me, but okay. Wow, okay. All right. So that's the doctrine they teach. Well, it's funny that... They, they call the, and, and I'm not trying to be insulting, but they call these young guys elders. That's kind of funny. 
I, I don't even know if I consider myself old enough to be an elder yet. Some of y'all are old enough to be elders, but <laughs> not me. Anyway, you know, it's just the way it is. Um, but yeah, Jesus is our cornerstone. He's what we base everything, all our belief on. So if we look at question six, what two metaphors are used to describe Christians? Holy priesthood. Holy priesthood. Okay, yeah. Offering up spiritual sacrifices to God through Christ. A holy priesthood. And living stones being built up as a spiritual house. So notice also calling us living stones only because we believe in the living stone, Jesus, but still, that makes us living stones as well, being built up as a spiritual house. Now, if we look at question number seven, what prophecy foretells the laying of a chief cornerstone in Zion? Isaiah 28, 16. Right, Isaiah 28, 16. And that's what is quoted here in these passages, right? Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. <laughs> and the Jews knew this scripture, but they rejected him anyway. They knew the scriptures, but they rejected him anyway. That's true. They knew the prophecies. They're, today, I heard a guy recently say this, and then he was a Jew. So I can say this with some belief, because I believe that he honestly believes this. They believe they are still waiting for a political figure, a, a king, to come and establish that throne. So that's what they still believe now. Uh, there are some Jews that are Christians and they believe in the Lord, but I'm just talking about other Jews who do not accept Jesus. That's what they're looking for. They're still looking for the Messiah. So. <clears throat> but uh, let's see. Okay, so what is Jesus to those who believe in him? Right, he's precious and chosen by God, right? And he's the chief cornerstone, like we were talking about before, right? He is the one that we align to, that we base everything on. If you think about it, I mean, Jesus is our prime. We have a lot of good examples, but Jesus is our primary, foremost example in everything. And then, if we look at the second part of that, to those who do not believe, what is what is Jesus? A stumbling block, a rock of offense, meaning they are offended over him. And and the Jews were part of their problem, and even today, part of their problem is Jesus made himself equal to God and called himself the Son of God. And they still, that's a big problem with the way they look at their religion and what they believe. That's still a big problem for them. That's why it's a 
a stumbling, a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. So I believe our time is up for this morning. I want to thank you all for your time and your interaction. We'll pick up here with question number nine next week.